Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbury is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This, this is, is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Well, hello again, sports fans or political fanatics. I guess that's more like it. This is the 74th episode of Perception is Reality. I am your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. Thank you for giving me this little bit of your time. Whether you're coming back as a repeat offender or repeat listener, or if this is your first time, I want to thank you. If you are someone who shares the show, continue doing that. If you've never shared the show before, please take a little bit of your time. Let your friends, family, or coworkers know or put it on social media. Of course, if you're listening, you know where to find us. But for those that don't, let them know they can find us on all major podcast hosting sites. iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts now, I guess. Google Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Radio Public. Or, as always, at the home link of perception.fireside.fm. But I would highly suggest using Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Apple Podcast. Along with that, you can also find the live video episodes which differ from these audio podcasts. And how you do that is by searching me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash bilbrey318. That's bilbrey, B-I-L-B-R-E-Y, 318. And there you'll find the live video streaming episodes, which are a little bit more personal. You're able to communicate with me in real time, and they're a little bit different. They don't cover the same information, so you're not hearing the same stuff that you would be hearing here. As always, you're able to contact the show by calling or texting 765-546-9796 or by emailing me at khbilbury at gmail.com. All right, folks, so let's go ahead and get into this 74th episode. This is going to be a big episode. A couple weeks back, myself and one of my producers, producer Niles, went to a Libertarian Candidate event in Frankfort, Kentucky, and we met a lot of wonderful people there. Niles is a Libertarian. I myself still consider myself to be a constitutional conservative, although I do buy into a lot of what the Libertarians sell. I have a little bit of issue with the Libertarians on the national level. I think that they're more a think tank than they are a political party. We can talk about that later. At this event, we met, like I said, many people, one of which was in real time, meaning currently now, the libertarian candidate running for governor 
of the state of West Virginia. And that is Libertarian candidate Mrs. Erica Kolinich. And she is running for the office of governor for West Virginia. We started talking down there. I talked about the podcast, and she said that, you know, she would be interested in taking a listen and seeing what she thought. We came back, and here recently she's got in touch with me, and I said, yeah, I'd love to have you on. So we're going to be talking with her in just a moment on the phone. And for those of you, because I do have listeners in West Virginia, please listen to this and share this. It's going to be important for you to share this with all of your other friends and family and coworkers in West Virginia. But for you listeners where the majority of you are from in Indiana, as well as the listeners from different states... This is still an important episode because it's going to cover everyday common sense issues that you as a candidate, whether it's libertarian or Republican or Democrat, should know if you're considering running or running for office, whether that's at a local level, state level, or on the federal level. As well as, there's a lot of information in here that pertains to the folks that are supporters of candidates. So this is going to be a big show, whether you are a listener from West Virginia Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, Colorado, or any place else. This is going to be a great show. On the other side of this quick break, we'll be talking with Erica Kolinich, Libertarian candidate for governor of the state of West Virginia. You're listening to Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher H. Bilbury, and we'll be right back. Now we go on the record with a one-on-one interview designed to engage, entertain, or enrage you. Perception is reality. On the record. All right. Joining us on the phone is the libertarian candidate running for governor of West Virginia, Erica Kolinich. Erica, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. No problem. I have some listeners from the West Virginia area, so hopefully they will get a lot of good use out of this, and hopefully we'll bring some more listeners to the podcast from West Virginia. Okay, so we met a few weeks back at a Libertarian event, and I talked to you a little bit about the podcast and talked to you about my desire to have you on to talk about your run for governor, which is a really important office, obviously, and a very important and big race. It certainly is. Yes, sir. As my frequent listeners will note, I talk about the importance of getting active and involved, which includes a lot of different things being registered to vote, being informed, understanding what your area's issues are, understanding who's running for office, then getting out and supporting those people, attending meetings, and just having an overall understanding of what your community and state as a whole is facing. And sometimes that leads people to the understanding that, hey, wait a minute, I could probably be a candidate for office. Because it's fine to support candidates, but we need people that can say, hey, I'm willing to throw my hat in the ring, and they're ready to sign up to actually run for office. And in West Virginia, you've done just that for the highest office in the state. And so that's what I wanted to talk with you about, finding out a little bit about you and uh, why you're running, what principles you have, what you think that you can affect, and why you should be the next governor of the state of West Virginia. Sure. Great. Thank you. Um, Well, I'm an attorney in West Virginia. I've lived here most of my life. I did leave for a couple of years to go to law school. But other than that, I've been here in West Virginia. And um, through my career as a lawyer, I've spent a lot of time in Charleston, which is our state capital at the legislature. Um, 
figuring out how things work down there. And it was certainly disenchanting <laughs> when I learned what was happening. And I walked those halls and I saw all the lobbyists. And then, you know, we started really having a lot of problems here in West Virginia a few years back where there were some some legislators who did not agree with their party. And if they weren't party line voting, they're actually being kicked out of the caucuses. They were being kicked out of committees. Um, they weren't being recognized on the floor. They weren't allowed to speak. Wow. And it, it, it was just really upsetting to me. And I had, I had always been an independent because I couldn't figure out where I fit. I thought I had ideas from both parties and I, just just couldn't commit. So um, a few years back, around 2015, uh, my husband got involved with the Libertarian Party in West Virginia and assisting with a U.S. Senate campaign. Okay. And through that, I started to meet some of those folks and get to know them and hear their ideas. And it really, really sounded to me like how I felt. I just never really known what libertarianism was or what the libertarians were about. And then I really became involved when my husband ran for attorney general in 2016. And through that, we had to um, or had the opportunity to meet the gentleman who was running for governor back then. And certainly all the things he said really, really spoke to me. I had never wanted to run for office before. As a matter of fact, I'm it was would have been terrified of running for office <laughs> up until a couple of years ago because I think I care too much what people think about me. I'm a little too sensitive, maybe, but I decided it was an important thing. And, you know, I came came out of my shell, so to speak, and decided it was important and I wanted to run. And here in West Virginia, in order for libertarians to maintain ballot access, the only race that matters is the governor's race. We have to get 1% every year in the governor's race or we lose ballot access. Um, so I feel like it's an important thing for me to run, not only to give people an option, but also to make sure that all the libertarians that want to run at state and local levels um, maintain the ability to do that in West Virginia through the ballot access race. Absolutely. And before we move on, talk about that a little bit if you can. I know it's different state to state what scenario makes up if the libertarians get ballot access. And for example, like you mentioned, if you as the libertarian governor candidate does not hit that 1% during the election, tell us what that means. That means that the libertarians are no longer a recognized political party in the state of West Virginia, um, which means that anybody who's a libertarian that wanted to run um, for a partisan office would not be able to do that unless they switched um, to being either a Republican or a Democrat. And in order to, to regain the ability to be on the ballot here, to have a libertarian presidential candidate on the ballot, to have a libertarian governor on the ballot, or for city council races even that are partisan to have a libertarian candidate on the ballot, they would have to go all the way back um, and do what they call a petition phase here in West Virginia, which means they'd have to get tens of thousands of signatures to get a governor candidate back on the ballot again. 
And um, then that person would then have to, again, get the 1% for the party to even be recognized in the state. So that's very important. And I mean, it's, it's something that's absolutely, to me, I just, I find disgusting that the fact that the powers that be do what they can to limit it, to make sure that it's a Republican and or Democrat only, you know, and so that the same old, same old seems to, to be the thing. So this, it, these races are very important for a couple of reasons, actually. Yes, it's great if you win and you become the governor. That would be an amazing thing, and that would be wonderful for you, your team, and your constituents, you know, depending on what your ideals are and your platform is. But beyond that, for your party and for, like you said, not just for the office of governor or for other state races, but for your local towns and cities and counties where you have people that might want to do good in the community but just can't say, hey, I'm a Republican or hey, I'm a Democrat. That's just a really, really sad state of affairs. And it's like that everywhere. Uh, You know, the majority of places that I know, Indiana has a similar situation. I hate that, and I wanted you to explain that a little bit. So, moving on, you said that your husband ran for attorney general. He is an attorney as well, of course. So you guys have a law practice, which means you have daily jobs, you have a family, and so you have a lot of regular obligations that most people have. When did you have to announce that you wanted to run for this position, and what did you do to go about doing that? Well, we started planning a while ago because the... The gentleman that had run for governor, um, his name is David Moran, he's run every since the Libertarians were a recognized party in West Virginia. He's the person who got us ballot access in West Virginia. Okay. He decided shortly after the 2016 election that he could not do it again in 2020. He's, he's older, he wanted to spend time with his family, spend time on his farm. And so they started looking at that point in time, the leadership for a candidate. So we've been in planning for a while. I formally um, decided at the beginning of 2018, I believe it was. Okay. And I announced that I would be seeking the Libertarian nomination in May of 2019. Okay. And then I will... Um, hopefully be selected by the party um, at the nominating convention to be the gubernatorial candidate in April of this year. Okay, and so a while back I had some other podcasters on my show. They're from a podcast also here in Indiana called The Boss Hog of Liberty. They talk about libertarian issues and other issues in their community and, and around the state and other places and we talked about this a little bit, but if you can tell the listener who might not know what being a libertarian means to you. Sure, that's a that's a fantastic question and something I love to talk about. Um, to me, being a libertarian um, really means not having to accept something because the government tells you that you have to accept it, but also respecting everybody else's feelings on that same subject. It means anytime there's an issue or a problem, finding a way to solve that problem or that issue 
by giving the citizens more liberty and more freedom as opposed to less liberty and less freedom. Absolutely. And I don't mean to cut you off there because I, I would definitely want to hear hear what you're going to say here. But I want to talk about that for a second because that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Obviously, what I do, if I do it well, I'm making 50% of the people happy and 50% of the people pissed off. <laughs> right. And uh, what, uh, you know, this it's politics. And what kills me in today's world and it's something that I've been focusing on a lot in the last, say, 10 episodes I've had, has been this issue of the us versus them or opponent versus enemy. You know, an opponent is someone that you, you know, you play a game with and that you have a respect for the rules with and, and you want to beat and you want to be the winner, but you don't hate this person here and you have a, a, a respect and you both have an understanding of the game that you're playing and a respect for the game or, or the election that you're in. And an enemy is somebody who you fundamentally disagree with and you see as an enemy to your way of life and you want to kill, you know. And so I feel like politics right. has gotten to a point where nobody looks at each other as opponents anymore and we look at each other as enemies and that's translated over to the banner waivers for the support of people who are running for office. And and we've had that here in you know, a nearby community of mine where, for example, I supported a Republican candidate running for mayor. And this Republican candidate running for mayor won. And I told him all along, hey, I support you. You know, I you, we're you're running on exactly what I think that you should be running on. I get it. I love it. I support you. I'm pushing you out here. But just know that just because you may win, and if you win, that doesn't mean you get a pass from me and I'm going to ask questions. And this person won in the November election. They're currently the new mayor of this community, and the community's had a lot of problems. They've currently been under a four-year federal FBI investigation for corruption. There have been several people connected to the last administration and businessmen that have been indicted for federal crimes. And so there's a lot going on, and this new mayor and his team is in, and they have produced, they've only been in since the 1st of January, but a lot of flubs have happened and some craziness has happened along the way. And I'm still saying, hey, I'm supportive of you, but I have questions. And it seems as though the people who used to love my support for this candidate is now out to like crush me because I've dared to be the same person I've been for the last 20 years. And so right. I just think that's that's very telling what you said there. Having an idea and being part of a political party and not having to accept this thought or this theory or this idea about something because you're part of that political party and everyone accepting you for your thought on it and at the same time, while you might not agree, you accept the other side. And that's so important to me, whether you're libertarian or a Republican or Democrat, that's how we should be. And I've always said that if people really boiled it down and stopped being so afraid of the third party, 
that most people would be libertarian. They would either be left-leaning libertarian or right-leaning libertarian, but common-sense people, just on a normal day-to-day -day level, act in a way that they're more libertarian than Republican or Democrat. I just wish people would understand that, but that's very, very important, and I just wanted to, to cover that again because that's, that's so good that you said that. And everybody, no matter what political party that you're a part of or you identify with, you should be able to agree and disagree and still respect the people on the other side, whether that's what you believe or not. You can have your opinion, and it's okay to have that opinion, and the person that you might not agree with can have their opinion, and you guys should be able to debate that and have civil discourse, but... But going crazy right. beyond that is just absolutely insane. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So how does that translate over to being a candidate for a state office such as governor? You know, how does that break down to the brass tacks of a campaign on a day-to-day basis. And if you get past the April 4th Libertarian Convention, which would make you the Libertarian candidate for your state's governor race in the November general election, how does your belief system translate over to the day-to-day -day operations of being governor? Sure. Um, well, I think what it allows me to do is to actually represent the constituents of West Virginia and what they actually want and what they actually think is important. Right now what's happening in West Virginia is that the the parties are they're dictating the narrative. And what's particularly disappointing in West Virginia, you know, West Virginia is not like a lot of states. We we have our own problems that are very, very specific to to West Virginia. And what we have right now is that the the Republicans and the Democrats who are in our capital, they are pushing a national party agenda. So the national party comes in and dictates what what laws they want West Virginia to pass and what they want to see West Virginia do. And the problem with that is that, you know, what's What's good for places like New York or, um, you know, Nevada aren't necessarily good for West Virginia. So you have this whole whole group of people in West Virginia that actually care about the state that are kind of getting lost in right. that infighting. So the things that people really care about are not what they're doing in Charleston. So people in West Virginia, they really, really care about the economy because things here, you know, aren't good. They're not going in an upward momentum. People here in West Virginia um, they grew up in a hunting culture. They really, really care about um, gun ownership and gun rights. Um, businesses in West Virginia care about workforce. We are one of the only states right now that has a declining population. And so all of that's getting ignored. Um, from the governor right now. They aren't addressing anything like that. They're addressing their own pet projects that I, if you ask the normal man on the street, is this something you care about? They really don't. They don't understand it. They don't know about it. They don't care about it. And those are the things that are getting focused on. So I think, you know, electing me and, and having having a libertarian in office would really change that so that people could be represented instead of just political parties. Very well said. And so for those not in West Virginia, 
your current governor is Jim Justice, and he is a Republican running for re-election, correct? He is, yes. And your West Virginia legislature is made up of 34 seats for the Senate, and those 34 seats are broken up with 20 Republicans and 14 Democrats, so the Republicans have the Senate as a majority, 20 to 14, and your House delegates, of which there are 100, have also went to the Republicans, and the Republicans hold 58 seats, the Democrats hold 41 seats, and there apparently is one independent. And so, is is that something that's a normal, I mean, is your state normally a quote-unquote red state, or is that something that's new? I, I tell, tell those of us that aren't from West Virginia or that might be listening from West Virginia that's just now getting into this stuff, if you're familiar with how that normally breaks down. Sure. Uh, up until the, um, up until really um, Mr. Justice, the current elected governor, Governor Justice, he was elected as a Democrat. And prior to that, West Virginia had a long history of being Democratic um, in both the legislature and the, um, the, the governor's house. It's, it's always really been a blue state. Yeah. Slowly, um, and I can't remember exactly what year it was, but I believe um, in the 2012 election, um, as as the Democrats started to move more left, they they lost some of the working class, um, blue collar, labor Democrat West Virginians, and they started to to move more to the right, really to distance themselves from the the mainstream party Democrats that were moving left. And so I believe it was in 2012. Um, that the Republicans were finally able to take control of the legislature. Um, and I know for sure by 2016, um, they were heavily Republican, um, actually far more Republican than they are currently. Um, the Democrats were able to gain some ground in the last election. Okay. Um, but historically, West Virginia has always been blue. That's what I thought. I was kind of under the impression that it was a new development that West Virginia had went Republican or red in the state offices. Very good. And moving on from there, I want to spend some time talking kind of about you being a normal person. You know, I feel like sometimes libertarians get a bad rap because folks see the people that are running around that are, aren't really serious candidates they're more performance artists and they always fall under the banner of a third party or libertarian candidates and i think that a lot of good people who have absolutely wonderful intentions and wonderful thoughts ideas feelings about how government should be either from the local level state level or federal level 
kind of get lumped into that craziness because they're not a Republican, they're not a Democrat, maybe they just have common sense, and they fall under the libertarian banner. So I want to talk about that just for a second because you appear to be a normal person and you and your husband have a law practice, you're a professional woman, you don't appear to be a crazy, and you're a serious candidate. Right. Tell us, (laughs) (laughs) from, from what I know, let me ask you this. The day-to-day nuts and bolts of your campaign, you know, for those that might be interested not necessarily in running for governor, but, I mean, hell, if if a person can just, you know, do what you've done and decided to run for governor and you're doing what looks like a fantastic job of it and you're holding, you know, your own and, and keeping your composure, tell us some of the nuts and bolts of running a campaign on this level and then just running a campaign in general, you know, some of what you're doing and, and what, what your day-to-day and, and week-to-week or month-to-month activities look like. Well, the first thing I always tell folks is it's very, very hard to run um, a statewide campaign while you're working full-time, um, which I do. I run my own business and my own law firm. So I really had to um, figure out a way to balance the two of them and put the two of them together libertarians and um, particularly me run things on a very grassroots level. So I travel around the state. I go to fairs and festivals. I try to uh, do as many interviews as I can. I travel almost every weekend um, to a different part of the state to to meet folks, to talk to folks about what they think is important to them. And um that's that's really been what I've been doing at this point in time. Uh, you know, fundraising is a terrible, terrible part of running a campaign. It's probably <laughs> yes. the worst part. And if you know anything about Jim Justice, you know that he is West Virginia's only, um, at least according to media, West Virginia's only billionaire. <laughs> so he has an unlimited amount of money to put into the campaign. Uh, most of the other folks that are running are millionaires that can afford to lend their campaigns hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think in the last um, election in 2016, each of the candidates in the general election from the major parties spent um, well over $2 million. So fundraising is a very difficult part of the campaign. It's also uh, very important. It's one of the only ways that you can make a splash. So you spend far more time as a candidate fundraising than than I think anyone would ever anticipate. Um, so that, that's a major part of it is talking to folks who are liberty-minded, talking to folks who just think it's important for the reason we talked about for third parties to have um, access to be able to run for office in West Virginia and raising funds that way and really just talking to a lot of people face to face. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's what I've been spending, spending most of my time doing. And I tell you, that's uh, really tough. A lot of people say that's what stops them from running is having to ask for money. And when we're talking about fundraising, that's the polite way of saying it. But what we're doing is coming out and saying, hey, I'm running for office. Would you please give me money if you like what I'm saying and what I'm doing? Let me ask you this. On the topic of fundraising, are you allowed to raise funds from outside of your state or is your state set up to only allow fundraising inside the state of West Virginia? 
We are permitted to uh, accept donations from outside of the state. Yeah. Okay, so while we're here, we might as well just say it. If anybody's wanting to donate to you, do you have a way set up? You have PayPal or GoFundMe, an account? How, how could someone who's either listening inside the state of West Virginia, how could they donate to you? And if someone is liberty-minded and interested in helping libertarians in the fight, how could someone say from Ohio donate to you? Well, they can donate on my website, which is um, Kalenich, it's K-O-L-E-N-I-C-H um, for WV.com um, for spelled out, not the number. Okay. And there's, there's a donate link on there. I also have a Facebook page that's very easy to find. It's Erica Kalenich for Governor of West Virginia, and there's a donate button on there as well. Awesome. And I will definitely put that in the summary of the episode so people can see all of that information that's uh, th that's there. So let me ask you on a couple hot-button topic issues so people can kind of grasp where you are because I feel like, you know, we've talked about being libertarian. You can kind of be all over the board with that. So as far as Second Amendment rights issues, where where are you there? I'm a strong Second Amendment supporter. Um, I grew up in a hunting family. Um, all my all my friends hunt. Uh, I went hunting a little bit and not a lot, but a little bit. And I, I mean, West Virginia, guns are very important to these folks. I mean, our state symbol is a mountaineer holding a gun. I mean, it's very, very important to us. So I'm a strong Second Amendment supporter. I do believe that there are some some limitations for folks who have been convicted of violent crimes uh, or something of that sort and are released from prison. But other than that, I don't think that there should be any regulations put on gun ownership whatsoever. I agree with that. I'm right there with you on that sentiment. Let me ask you this. Since you're the first governor candidate that I have actually interviewed, all the other candidates I've interviewed to this point have been local officials, so this issue hasn't really played a part in their races. So bear with me, but I'm going to put you on the spot for a couple of these. So the first one, death penalty. Where do you stand on the death penalty? I, I don't support the death penalty, probably because of my experience in the law. Um, sure. I have seen, you know, I've gone to trials and I've seen witnesses that have said that the wall of the room was blue when the walls of the room were white. And the, the fact that people could get convicted on, you know, things as faulty as the human memory makes me really, really leery about putting anybody to death. So I, it's not something that I support. It's not something that we have here in West Virginia. Okay. Um, one of the candidates actually who's um, running against me has actually suggested reinstituting the death penalty in West Virginia for drug dealers who sell wow. who sell drugs that ultimately cause an overdose and and a death. So it's 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 that, actually interesting that you ask because it is something that folks here have been talking about. That's interesting that that's the issue that causes that candidate to bring that up because I mean, you know, I, I could see maybe saying it for murder or murder of children or, you know, violent rape or molest, you know, something like I, that I can understand saying it for, I mean, and I understand a drug dealer who sells 
dope that ultimately kills somebody, that that is, you know, in effect murder. I understand that. That just that seems like a kind of a funny way to get at that. That's that's interesting. Let me ask you how how is that uh, resonating with the voters of West Virginia? I haven't had the opportunity to talk to a lot of folks about it. Sure. In detail, I can tell you that certainly when it first, when he first released that issue statement, it definitely raised a lot of eyebrows. Okay. Um, because obviously it leaves out of the equation the person who purchased the drugs and the fact that they right. made that decision. You're right. Um, and the fact that his his policy statement didn't really address the other things that you were talking about, first degree murder, um, you know, hurting children. So it it didn't seem to resonate well, although I will say people in West Virginia are definitely concerned about the drug problem here. There's, there are a lot of drugs in our state that come in from, from other areas. Um, We have a pipeline that comes in straight from Detroit, a pipeline that comes in straight from Baltimore and I think a lot of people get very upset about out-of-staters bringing drugs here and, and harming our folks. But I have not heard that they support the death penalty for that. Absolutely. While we're talking about drugs, uh, where are you? Where are you on the topic of drugs? As an attorney, you know you have a, a, a different kind of opinion on that, depending on what you've represented in court. Where are you sure. on marijuana? I. I believe in the decriminalization of marijuana, um, both for recreational and medicinal use. A a lot of folks get upset with me um, because I use the term decriminalization and they don't understand what that means. In in my mind, when you use the term legalization, what that means is here comes the regulation. Here comes only, you know, the wealthy companies who make campaign donations can afford to get the license to grow it and sell it in West Virginia. Ah. Um, it just, it involves, you know, it'll involve heavy taxes. So I'm just, I'm just for the decriminalization. I think if you're, if you're sick or if you just happen to like marijuana and you <laughs> want to be able to grow it in your basement or your backyard, that you should be able to do that. And I, I think that that only comes with decriminalization. I think legalization is going to come with a lot of red tape that I don't support. Fantastic. I often speak of that the same way, saying decriminalization. Now, I've not said it in the way that you did there. That's definitely an interesting way to look at that. I I really like that. I think I'm going to probably borrow that from you if you don't mind. I'll give you credit for it. But uh, (laughs) I think that's a good way to look at that. Uh, I've oftentimes said that, and I, too, have uh, experience outside of just just doing this. I'm a former police officer. I worked uh, as an investigator in my county's prosecutor's office. Matter of fact, I worked as a narcotics investigator for quite some time as well, so I definitely have experience in this area. And that being said, I definitely agree with you in your point of view here on this matter. Now, let me ask you to take it a step further. Beyond marijuana, what about other substances such as cocaine or heroin or psychedelics what is your thought there my my personal philosophy on those is a very libertarian philosophy that if someone wants to make the choice to use those drugs that the government should not stand in their way so long as the use of those drugs 
is not harming someone else. I yes. mean, if someone commits a crime to get those drugs, that's a different story. But sure. if someone wants to use drugs and I, I think that's their decision, practically speaking, I think that the government is a long, long way from ever legalizing <laughs> or decriminalizing the complete use of drugs. But, you know, there was a time when alcohol yep. um, was considered taboo and prohibition. And now it's, it's common practice, right? Yep. These people that stop home every night on the way from work and pick up a six pack and, and nobody raises an eyebrow at it. So I think right now to say, Hey, people should be able to use cocaine if they want, you know, kind of, throws people back against the wall and, you know, makes their hair stand up a little bit. But the the fact of the matter is, I, I think that, I think that time just has to catch up with that yep. idea. But as a general statement, I don't think that the government should interfere at all if people want to use drugs and they're not hurting anybody else. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. And I just, you know, it's very easy to put different enhancements on different crimes. For example, if a person commits burglary, it's one crime. If somebody commits burglary while they're high or to get drugs because of their addiction, then you put this enhancement on it. You know, if you have somebody that is an adult that's not hurting anybody else and not committing a crime and not hurting the public in any way, but they work, and at the end of the day, they go home and do psychedelic mushrooms, or they want to take a chance with LSD, or if they're a cocaine user, or even heroin, what they want to put in their body, as long as it's not hurting anyone else, I just don't understand how the government gets to say no. I'll give you an example, back when I was in law enforcement, when I was a police officer, I knew of an individual, or later learned of an individual, who was a productive member of society, worked at a factory in the area that I'm in, and he was in management in his job, had a family, was a productive member of society, went to work every day, and didn't like drinking, really, would drink socially every now and then, was not a smoker, didn't like marijuana, but he enjoyed cocaine, and he used cocaine quite frequently. And, you know, he wasn't stealing from the neighbor. He wasn't robbing the store down the street. He wasn't hurting people. He didn't use cocaine and then drive. He would live his life, do his job, and at the end of the day, he'd go buy some cocaine, go home, do cocaine, and turn on cops. <laughs> and, you know, that was uh, his way to relax at the end of the day or, or get sped up at the end of the day. But it was his choice, and he hurt nobody, and he broke no other laws other than the quote-unquote possession of that drug, which he would absolutely have been arrested for if he would have been found with that in his possession. And I just, I don't know that I can, I, I, I don't understand that. And now, on the flip side of that, not everybody's like that. You know, most people, and I'm going to agree with that, most people are going to do their drugs and go down a rabbit hole where they are hurting people and those people have to be dealt with. But it's when they're hurting people 
That's the issues that need to be dealt with rather than the possession of the substance because you're not fighting this addiction or this issue because you're arresting somebody for possessing. Because if someone's on heroin and they get arrested after they just bought heroin and you put them in jail for 6, 12 hours, whatever, and they bond out, as soon as they get out of jail for possession of heroin, they're going to go buy more heroin. It doesn't prevent them from doing the heroin. So moving on to the last hot button issue, let me ask you, and I don't know if you thought that you were going to escape without this one or not, but on abortion, what are your thoughts as a woman and as a libertarian candidate running for governor of West Virginia? What are your thoughts on abortion? I I suppose, and this question is always difficult for me yep. because... I suppose that I am pro-choice to the end that your stance on abortion has to be described as either pro-choice or pro-life. My thought is that uh, either way, that is a moral issue. It's, it's not a governmental issue. Yes. And so to, to the extent that, you know, pro-choice or pro-life has to describe what stance you think the government should take on the issue, then I would be pro-choice. I think that um, if, you, if you're not pro-choice, you're making an overgeneralization, you're not making exceptions, um, you're, you're taking the stance that there's never an occasion where it's, where it's something that the government should allow. And, and I don't think that the government should be involved in the business of legislating morality. I think it's very similar to the legislature um, or the government telling you how you should feel on an issue of religion. And I, I, I don't think it's okay. I think that if there's, I can't say that I would ever do it, but sure. if there is a woman out there who's fully informed and she believes that that is the right decision for her, I don't think that the government should stand in her way. Thank you for that answer. Very good. That's very good. Thank you. So we're almost out of time, but before we end, I would like to ask you, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to cover? Or for those that are listening from your state, do you have any events coming up, anything where people can get out to meet you face-to-face, get in contact with you, talk with you, or can you let us know where people can find you if they want to learn more about you and your campaign and what you plan to do as governor of West Virginia as a libertarian candidate? Sure. Well, I keep um, certainly my Facebook and my website site updated. So you can always reach me through there. I'm always happy to talk to folks. I love hearing from people. I love hearing what's important to people and um, what they think the government should be focusing on. So people should certainly reach out to me. Um, All of my events are on there. So if folks want to come out and meet me, I always have my schedule and where I'm going to be up on my Facebook page and my website. The only other thing I can think of that I would want people to know is One thing that is very, very, very important to me is creating an environment here in West Virginia that keeps our youth here. I don't think that our state is ever going to make any progress until people stop leaving 
in the form of mass exodus. And I, I think that a lot has to change in order for that to happen. So that's really the focus of my campaign and the focus of what I hope to accomplish when I'm elected. Absolutely. Well, very good. Uh, and again, for those listening, either in West Virginia or outside, you can uh, catch Erica Kolinich, Libertarian candidate for governor of West Virginia, on Facebook at Erica, E-R-I-K-A, Kolinich, K-O-L-E-N-I-C-H, for governor of West Virginia. And that's the easiest way she said there to get in contact with her. Uh, Erica, I would love to talk with you again at the end of, you know, maybe touch base with us in April. Let us know how that goes. And then again in November, uh, I wish you the best of luck. You're always uh, welcome here on the show. I hope you stay in contact with us. Win, lose, or draw, you are always welcome here. I, of course, will keep up to date with your race and follow you on Facebook and social media. I hope that the listeners choose to follow you both inside and outside of West Virginia. And again, I just want to say thank you for joining me today and good luck on your race and looking forward to talking to you soon great thank you thank you so much for having me yeah no problem ladies and gentlemen that was libertarian candidate erica kolinich she is running for the office of governor of west virginia i want to thank her again for being on the show with us today you're listening to perception is reality I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey, and we'll be right back after this quick break. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Again, I want to thank special guest Erica Kolinich for being on the show today, Libertarian candidate for governor of West Virginia. I want to thank all of you for taking your time and listening and sharing the show. As always, we can be found at the home link of perception.fireside.fm, as well as on all major podcast hosting sites. Please remember it takes you to be engaged and involved to better government through citizen involvement. As always, stay safe, God bless, and I'll look forward to talking to you again real soon you've been listening to perception is reality with christopher h bilbrey Bilbrey. tune in like and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm hook up on facebook at facebook.com backslash bilbrey 318 and on twitter at p-i-s-r bilbrey email khbilbrey at gmail.com or get off your butt and call the show at 765-546-9796. Till next time, remember, perception, perception is, is reality. Reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.